That's my buddy says. Uh, the worst part about Cosby was he was a hypocrite. And I said, I don't think that was the worst part. <laughs> the worst part of the raping <laughs> way up high and then the second would be the drugging <laughs> and then the third would be the, the scheming <laughs> but anyways hypocrisy would be way fucking down the line you know like on the fourth page or some shit like I'm no expert but I think Probably uh, most uh, rapists are hypocrites. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't know meet a lot of guys who go, I like to rape, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I know it's not a politically correct thing to say, but I like raping. <laughs> oh, God damn, at least he's not a hypocrite. That's the worst. That's the it's worst the Check Your Brain podcast, part two of our year in review in popular culture in 2021. And my returning guest, my, the recently retired Bob Ethington from the Akron Summit County Public Library, who has uh, been with me. And if you were able to listen to last week's episode, we were able to, we talked a lot about sports figures. We talked about musicians and kind of just went over 2021 in pop culture and how our, a lot of our habits had changed in you know, you go from uh, how we're not really going to movie theaters as much anymore and that uh, it's the norm to watch a movie on your phone, like your small iPhone or your Android or even BlackBerry has made a comeback and people have those opportunities to uh, check those out. But 2021 is a way where even though when we're recording this, we're seeing a lot of spikes happen from COVID, but there are vaccines right now. People are able to do that if they can. So people aren't taking, you know, it's not as scary, I guess, a time as it was in 2020. So things start to reopen. You start seeing a lot of concert halls reopen, you see comedy venues and sports sports arenas and, you know, places stop to drop their mask mandates and their social distancing and everything. So you started seeing a little bit more normalcy, especially in this latter half of 2021. And um, one of the things, Bob, uh, and, and thanks again for being a part of this and being on with me, cool. the... Um, one of the big things that really came out, and I buried the lead because I wanted to talk about this in the first podcast. I'm like, let's do this in part two, was going back to comedy clubs and me being a comedian. I don't do it a ton, but I, you know, I'm on stage and I do a lot of, a uh, lot of jokes that it's not. I'm not going to try and step on too many toes. As for, and I'm definitely not going to go political on stage because that immediately splits the room, and I don't understand why people decide to do that. But then you have some comics that will go for the big joke, the big laugh, or they'll go for no laugh at all. But that's funny in and of itself. And you know exactly where I'm going with because we lost him back in September. And mm. I believe you, I heard you say it's your favorite comedian of all time. He is yes. on my Mount Rushmore of favorite comedians of all time. And that's Norm MacDonald. Yeah. Well, yeah, when Norm MacDonald was, was definitely my favorite comedian of the last, I don't know. <laughs> 20 plus years. I mean, I, I mean, I would put him up with the, you know, with Richard Pryor and some of the other greats, but um, to speak about Norm specifically, um, I just loved his, um, his approach to comedy. He, I, I, it was, he was sort of a comedian's comedian. Uh, he, he, he didn't mind. He didn't really, he never worked political really all that much, but he didn't mind going into areas or, 
where he knew that he was likely to bomb and it would just almost entertain him in a way he has this of course his famous deadpan delivery he was able to say virtually anything in that delivery and get away with it or if not get away with it at least find it find it funny himself um he's um i was i'm happy i, I got to see him when he was at the casino in northfield ohio here and um i'm thinking this was four years ago um and he was so funny. I mean, he was just great. I was so happy to be able to have a chance to see him in person. He's a comedian who I think a lot of his reputation was built on through YouTube. Not that he really put the stuff out. It was more by fans who loved his stuff, uh, just putting up, you know, uh, stand-up performances, oftentimes uh, talk show guest performances. I guess he, he sort of had a was sort of a legend as being one of the best guests you could have on, you know, Conan O'Brien or, you know, any of the talk shows um, because you never knew where it was going to go. And he, it was always just so, so very funny. What has struck me about him is with his death, he was only 61. And um, I think I've mentioned this before, but I think there's an Andy Kaufman aspect to Norm MacDonald where it's like, no one really it seems like no one really knew the guy hiding uh, leukemia for almost 10 years and no one knew it no one had any idea uh, i mean it just seemed like virtually no one knew that he was sick and when you tie that into the fact that he um often would make these jokes about death uh it, and in those in those years it's just kind of amazing to me that he had this sort of like hidden reality going on that he was actually exposing to the public. You know, he wrote a book that came out a few, uh, like about three years ago or so. Yeah. Five years it, ago it came out. It, it's, it's called based on a true story. Based on a true story. Was it five years? See, I'm at the point in my life now where everything was, that it was three years. It's actually five. And you can go from oh, there. Yeah. But if you remember the, the, the conceit of that book is that he um, reads a Wikipedia entry on himself that says he's dead. Now, now he knows that he's dying. I mean, he knows he's very ill when he's writing this book, and of course, that was the conceit of it. And I just I look back at this and I'm like, this guy is com complicated. And in his later years, particularly, if you read articles about him, interviews about him, he was a purist about comedy. His whole thing was he hated comedians, comedians who talked about. Uh, politics or about identity politics or he, he didn't like he, i mean the last thing he was ever going to do was let people know that he was sick because he didn't want people to feel sorry for him he just wanted it to be about the joke he was a purist that way i think it's very admirable and very fascinating um and yet at the same time he's um you know like i said i mean i remember when i saw him at, at northfield he had this joke where he said like people and I, I'm not going to do my impersonation. Everyone has a Norm impersonation. Yeah, it's, never that, it's the same Norm impression. Yes. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's he's like uh, he's like uh, you know yeah people out there they they say they're not afraid of dying. They're not afraid of dying. I don't know. I'm afraid if there's a mouse in my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and I that joke came back to me. I'm like, what a joke to say when you are kind of dying right i mean i don't know that was i mean he didn't know that he was dying but he knew he was very ill i'm just fairly fascinated with the guy i and i, I it seems to me that he could be a subject of a great book
you know, if somebody could ever find anyone to talk to him that would could really who would really know him. And that's kind of that brings us back to Andy Kaufman. No one that ever really knows Andy Kaufman has ever really ever really talked about how he really was. I mean, I, I I've read a number of things about Kaufman's life. I don't really buy completely any of it because it always seems like there's always some weird hidden agenda to it or whatever. I wonder if that'll be the case with Norm. I, I think know. with Norm and, and the comparison with Andy Kaufman is is interesting because I, I, Andy Kaufman was would be a guest on Letterman and he would be there with Jerry Lawler and he'd have the, the neck brace and everything and want to wrestle women and he was lock gun, taxi, but there right. just it really didn't seem like there was a place for for him. And I, I kind of feel that way about Norm McDonald that Norm did everything. But it didn't I'm trying to trying to word this properly. He did everything. He did movies, but he's not a great actor. He did television. He's not a great actor. He right. did weekend update. He pissed too many people off. Uh, <laughs> he he had his own talk show and it just there really wasn't much to it. But you but then he would be a great guest on talk shows. But right. there's no money involved in that. You know, right. what was he going to do? Sit on uh, and Conan and tell the moth joke, and you know, but he's not going to make money from it. Just other than, uh, yeah, I'll be in uh, St. Louis this weekend. Uh, <laughs> so, that's what's interesting about Norm is that when I bought that book, I I didn't read anything before I I was able to uh, get it. I got it for Christmas five years ago, and I yeah. asked for it. I I read nothing about it until I got it because I wanted to see if this was actually we're going to see the real Norm Macdonald. And you start reading it and you think it is because he tells some tales. Then he's talking about him being addicted to morphine and drinking like wild turkey. When in reality, Norm didn't drink. Norm didn't do drugs. The only thing he did was he did smoke. But And he gambled. Oh, boy, was he a gambler. You hear Artie (laughs) Lang telling a lot of those stories and stuff. And. But what's interesting is I'm glad I got a chance to see Norm as well. I saw him in uh, 2009. It was actually one of my first comedy shows that I was able to go to when I was of age. And then I saw him again about five years later. And what was brilliant about Norm is he made it seem like he was drunk, that he didn't know what he was talking about, that he was struggling for the next line, that uh, he's just all disheveled. It's it's how it's almost like a Columbo feel to it, where you think the guy doesn't know what he's talking, but he knows exactly what he's doing. And right. it came out when we saw him in 2014 that three years later he had the special called Hitler's Dog that was on mm-hmm. Netflix. And yeah. my buddy and I, who went to see the 2014 show live, saw what he was doing there. So all those little nuances and him uh, talking about eating a pork chop, and, hey, yeah, pork chop. Uh, you know, why is it why is it when you, you you eat at a restaurant your habits are different than when when you're at home like you don't eat a whole loaf of bread at home but yeah it's the pork chop and you're thinking like oh maybe he was upstairs at the comedy club and he did have a pork chop and then he does the exact thing in his special it's just a little bit more fine-tuned and you go wow there really is a method to all of his madness and then the greatest i think it's the greatest talk show clip of all time is not him on letterman not on on conan it's on the view oh yeah <laughs> he goes up there he's he's talking about the clintons which you know that that whole thing and just that wound everybody up and then he starts talking about bill cosby and he's like oh you know bill cosby what a great man no one's ever accused bill cosby of anything and then what happens 14 years later, 
is Bill Cosby's being accused of things. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, Pat Oswalt was talking about, uh, the. you know, the worst thing about Bill Cosby is that he's a hypocrite. Uh, I don't think that was the worst thing. I think the 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 uh, the raping was the worst thing. You know, the, the sexual assault. And, and that's what he would do is that Norm knew where the line was. He right. knew where to cross the line, but he knew where to cross the line tastefully where right. he wouldn't just because I've heard a number of comics just curse and say things on stage just mm -hmm. to say them. But right. Norm knew how to do it where he's just jabbing and jabbing and jabbing and not everybody's going to get it. You're going to be in the audience and going, what? wait, you said this was the guy who's the voice of the dog from uh, <laughs> from the Dr. Doolittle movie? You're like, yeah, right. no, this is him. And honestly, I think Gilbert Gottfried is a similar way where you don't really know too much about Gilbert. Now, hopefully right. we're not talking about him next year, but I, I've met Gilbert a few times and he's mm -hmm. another guy that what do you do with somebody like that that's very talented, but it's niche talented? It's mm -hmm. mainstream, but it's also very niche where you have to be in that niche to truly get what they're going for. I have to ask you for your opinion about this, because I'm sure you're familiar with it, um, about the famous Bob Saget roast. Yes. That Norm did. And of course, I mean, the famous story about that, of course, if, if, people remember these Comedy Central roasts. They're usually very vulgar, real over the top, what have you. And um, so Norm gets up there to do the, the roast and he basically reads all of these really corny jokes from like a joke book that he claims that his father, you never know if he's telling the truth or not, but I, in reading about it, he claimed it was a joke book that his father had given him when he was like 16 years old or something that was like jokes to, you know, to tell at, um, you know, business parties, you know, like, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, it was like a Toastmasters kind of thing. And so he's doing these jokes that are totally falling flat because the audience, you know, they're not really funny. They're just totally cornball. And the audience doesn't know what to make of it. But then famously about halfway through the people that are on the dice, the dice are like, they're so they're, they are starting, they're getting what he's doing. Yeah. And they start losing it. They're like cracking up because, but that was like Norm. It was like he would, he would be like, that would be his approach. I remember hearing an interview with him where he said, well, you know, he said he hated these roasts. He always thought that, you know, he says, I don't want to get up there and say terrible things about somebody I like. And he was like, so, but, you know, they said, well, it's Bob Saget. Bob Saget wanted him to do it because, you know, he directed Dirty Work, or the, the movie that mm -hmm. Norm made. And um, so he, he said, well, he felt like he had to do it, but <laughs> he does it. <laughs> he does it with these ridiculous jokes. And that's one of those things that you can watch over and over again. It's almost like a work of art. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, I've, I've probably watched it at least a dozen times. And it's just, it never ceases to be just kind of fascinating and funny in its own weird way. That's where I had to go see him the first time uh, because that came out in 2008 and he was coming to town in 09. And as soon as I saw that, I knew exactly what he was going for because they're just hilarious, bad jokes. And it's right. because of roast is supposed to be body. It's supposed to be raunchy. Right. And uh, it was just outstanding. And then, then you have Jim Norton who has to go up after him and says, Norm MacDonald, what a set that was. Your set reminded me of Henry Fonda picking blueberries. <laughs> it's like, what and then Norm's like, I think everybody would want to see Henry Fonda pick blueberries. <laughs> yeah, I miss that. I, 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 he's somebody that I'm, 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 I immediately was really bummed out 
that he died and I, I miss him. You know, I mean, some of these people are that we'll probably talk about or, you know, they had great careers and were late in their past their prime or whatever. But Norm, Norm remained fascinating. And I will just say one more thing because I don't want to we, take the whole part two up on Norm, but um, which I could do easily. But um, but another thing that was interesting was reading when his book came out and there were various articles on him that were a little more personal. I, I think there was like a, you know, a New Yorker piece and there was something in like uh, Esquire about him. Um, what came out was how he, and, and, and now, and again, in retrospect, it, it's, it has a, it's more poignant is that how he was reading um, so much, he was reading the Bible and he was reading Russian novelists like Tolstoy and Dostoevsky. He was reading this really meaning of life, heavy kind of stuff. And he never would ever admit to any ultimate answers to anything but uh, or conclusions but he was clearly searching and this reminds me of i'm gonna one more clip and you maybe have seen this but what was i'm planking on the name tony what was the the what was the comedy show that jeselnik hosted it's that like where the comedians compete oh uh yeah it was like uh, was it last comic standing that's it last comic standing and there was this one season where norm was a judge and have you ever seen this that clip where there was a guy who comes up and he does this thing about um about the the bible and and someone you know talking to him about the bible and he says well you know who cares about the bible i you know uh, harry potter you know harry potter is what i look at and harry potter says this or whatever and and the crowd like laughs and everything and um Roseanne Barr is another one of the judges. It's probably how Norm got involved because he was a writer for her at one point in, when, with her show. And, um, and she's like, says something like, you know, that was really, you know, that was great. And that was really brave stuff that you did there. That was really great. And then Norm surprisingly says he didn't like it. And he said, I don't think that was brave. I think that was cheap. It's a cheap shot. Anyone can make those shots about, about the Bible. And then he goes on and he says like, you know, and it's interesting because JK Rowling, who wrote the Harry Potter books, she's a Christian and she, and she, uh, and she says that Harry Potter can really be viewed as a Christian allegory. I mean, it was really, you know, he completely gave a thumbs down to this guy. And I was, you don't hear people talking like that much on network TV in that, you know, about faith, religion, and particularly coming from someone like Norm Macdonald, who was such an offbeat original comic figure, it was really striking to see that he said that. And I don't know if he was saying it because, well, I mean, I think he said it sincerely, but, you know, where he was at in his life at that point, I don't know. It was, you know, it wasn't that long ago. But, yeah, he's a fascinating guy. I, I Like I said, I if someone could really get a book, could get, delve into his life, and really go into it. I, I would be fascinated to read about more about him because. Yeah. And, and when you read about, and when you, you know, he does the, uh, the moth joke and as yeah. silly as the moth joke is the, you know, well, the light was on, it's actually, again, based on Russian literature and he's using right. Russian words and, and everything right. from that. So it's right. as silly as that joke is. And the whole, cause the joke is the setup, you know, the right. punchline is, is just the punchline, the right. setup, just like the dirty Johnny joke and all these other yeah. jokes that he yeah. has that he would right. tell on these shows that, you know, I'm serving youthful porpoise and everything, but they were, <laughs> they were long setups and that was part of the brilliance. And, right. you know, when he's like, uh, Alexander Anilinovich and he's just, <laughs> he's pulling these names out. He's not just saying these things like, oh, what's a quick name? Bill Smith. 
He's not right. saying that, and that's what's so fascinating. And yeah, yeah, like you said, if somebody has a book out there that can, uh, that you get the real Norm Macdonald, I would love, love, love to read that. Um, other comedians that we lost this year, we lost Paul Mooney back in the springtime. He was uh, very influential with Richard Pryor and uh, later Dave Chappelle towards the 2000s. And then we lost another one, maybe not necessarily a giant in the comedy world, but somebody who I actually got to know the last few years, and that was Dustin Diamond. Oh, wow. Okay. Dustin uh, came to the, he was getting booked because at this point, it's funny because my wife is currently watching that Say by the Bell reboot which it's, it, it's aware of itself, which I'm happy with these reboots is that they're aware of how goofy and how stupid it's supposed to be. And <laughs> yeah. and w w if you're not taking it too serious, you go, okay, there's Mario Lopez, there's Mark Paul Gossler, they brought back Elizabeth Berkley. But when it was announced that they weren't going to have Dustin Diamond on the show, it was like, oh, you know, he you know, talked crap about his coworkers, everything in books and TV shows and stuff. But over the years, the last few years, he had been coming locally to the uh, comedy club I perform at, The Funny Stop. And I got uh -huh. to not only work with him a number of times, I got to get to know him a little bit. And it was it was pretty sad because he's a guy that, yes, he, he had his issues, but he also had his issues from being a child actor. You're on a TV show that is... You get Mar you know, Mario Lopez is a male model, basically, and Mark Paul Gossler, Zach Morris is a male model, and all these models, and here you are, this nerdy guy who's getting no girls, and that played a real effect on him going forward. So then when he's in that celebrity boxing and he's facing Arnold Horshack in the ring and beats <laughs> the living daylights out of him, and yeah. of course he wants to prove to him to everybody he's not just Screech, he's Dustin Diamond, who's now trying to transition into doing comedy. So you as, as sad as that is to see Horshack really get the piss beaten out of him, he uh, it was his way of trying to tell people, look, I'm not the child actor, I'm not the kid anymore. And, yeah. you know, and he had his issues over time and, you know, he went to jail for a little bit. Uh, uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll, people know these stories, but, you know, he'd, he'd ask me for Coke if I knew where I can find some Coke for him and stuff. I'm like, no, I'm... I'm just drinking tonight, uh, Dustin, but that's okay. And I, I actually have a gr really good photo with him. Him and my wife, I introduced them. And Dustin went out into the car for a few. I shouldn't be telling these stories, but I'm going to because he is passing away and they're pretty well known. But he went out to the car and came back and his eyes were as big as dinner plates in this photo. It's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. So uh, let, let's go into speaking of TV. Let's go to, uh, talk about some of the TV figures. Um, can, I ask, can I ask you one more comedy question? Oh, yeah, sure. So I, because I, how about Jackie Mason? Oh yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I forgot to put him down there. And yeah, Jackie Mason's interesting. And I heard you telling the story on the radio the other day about what, what Jackie Mason, how he was saying things about Frank Sinatra. But there was another infamous story. Do you know about the finger story? I have heard it, but tell it again, because I don't remember the specifics. So about a year ago on this podcast, I had John Biner. And okay. John Biner was actually on the show the night that Jackie Mason was there. And the story well, on Ed Sullivan. And uh -huh. so he's on Sullivan and apparently there, I think there was like a wrap up thing. I think what it was is Sullivan was interviewing Lyndon Johnson, I believe, and it went a little bit too long. So mm -hmm. Jackie Mason's time got cut short and he's on the show and uh, one of the stagehands is like giving him you know, the one minute sign, the wrap up right. sign. And Jackie's like, look at this me. Look at this guy's giving me the finger. Well, I'll give you the finger. I'll give you. The. And they, it was this whole thing about 
that he was flipping off the audience and flipping off everybody. When in reality, he, as John Biner said it, is that he wasn't flipping anybody off. He was just alluding to everybody yeah. knows what he's saying when he says the finger, but he right. didn't actually give the finger. And I guess right. backstage, Ed Sullivan was doing that. You, you'll never work on my show again, you <laughs> son of a bitch. And, you know, he's, he's just blasting him and everything. But, um, but yeah, like you, Jackie Mason was a giant, especially in the Catskills, and his career was just ruined for like 15 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, it was fascinating how he made that comeback, you know, really like his late 60s, probably early 70s. I mean, um, and so good for him. Yeah, he was like 93 when he died. So. Yeah, he was, uh, he played the uh, Al Cervic part in Caddyshack 2 for folks who have ever seen okay. that movie. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, yeah, so, and going into uh, comedy in uh, TV, uh, lost a bunch of these. So I'm going to run through some of these uh, these actors that were on TV shows. Uh, Gavin McLeod, of course, from Love Boat and Mary Tyler Moore. We lost uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Eddie Mecca, who played Carmine, the big ragu in Laverne mm -hmm. and Shirley. Uh, Peter Scolari from Bosom Buddies and Newhart. Um, George Siegel was, uh, you know, it could be TV, could be movies, but he was just mostly recently on the Goldbergs. Ed Asner, of course, Cloris Leachman, who was also on Mary Tyler Moore, uh, Frank Bonner, who uh, was on WKRP in Cincinnati, and uh, a guy that not necessarily, he was on TV shows, but he was more of one of those one-off guys that would be on, you know, you put him on Johnny Carson or you put him on Mike Douglas or on, uh, you know, uh, Merv Griffin was Art Matrano. And for people who don't know who Art Matrano is, in the 1970s, they we just had guys that did one thing. And you had uh, the guy who, uh, Billy Saluga, who did the, well, you could call me Ray, and you could call me Jay, and you could call me Ray J, and you could call me RJ, and you could call me RJ, but you doesn't has to call me Johnson. And that was, the, that was it. He was in every TV show and commercial. And Art <laughs> Matrano was the same way, but he would be this fake magician where he would do the fine and dandy song and do da 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 and he would do things where he would link his two uh, fingers together and put them behind his head and then he would come apart like a, the broke a chain and it, it just it was the silliest things but he ended up I, I think the biggest thing he did in actual television was he was in Joni Loves Chachi <laughs> so uh, any of those guys you uh, any of those uh, actors from television uh, you wanted to mention um that uh, you, you can go in a little more deep uh, uh, depth with. Well, um, yeah, Peter Scolari, you know, he was, he died fairly young. He was only 66. Um, he always seemed like a, a guy who could have had a bigger career, maybe. I mean, he sort of had a, you know, he was a, seemed very talented to me, uh, had a sort of a very telegenic charm to him. Uh, he had a good career. I mean, uh, but, but um, yeah, I was kind of surprised that with, with him passing away. And then, um, and then you mentioned, of course, Cloris Leachman, and uh, I had talked about this before, um, but, you know, her career, it's just funny how long it was and how, you know, she really could be a, an attractive, she was an attractive woman, but she sort of played against that. You know, she, she was playing like, you know, grandmas when she was in her late twenties uh, on Twilight Zone episodes. It's just, her career is, is just kind of fascinating in that way. She was clearly willing to do uh, you know, anything for a role uh, or, you know, um, in terms of uh, stretching her own uh, abilities, her own and her own talents. Uh, 
Jessica Walter also passed away, of course, and yep. I loved her on uh, Arrested Development. I thought she was so funny. I had that her in the movie. Her and Cloris Leachman I had both in the movie category, uh, but uh, they could be either way. But yeah, Jessica Walter in Arrested Development. She was the mother in Dinosaurs, and she was the mother in Archer most recently. Yeah, exactly. But she also had she yeah she was in some you know dramas and things over the in you know in over the years. Yeah, she was a, a accomplished actress as well. Play Misty um, for me. And uh, exactly right. And then uh, you were probably going to get here too. This guy kind of brings together acting, TV, talk shows, and comedy to a degree as well. And in books, for that matter, Charles Grodin. Yes. Um, and um, I was really surprised that he was 86 years old. He he always seemed youthful to me. I was, was amazed he was that old. But um, he was a uh, he had a great career. And it was funny. I mean, because he kind of. You know, he was a movie star for a while, and then he was a TV star for a while, and then he had like these best-selling books, you know, that were all sort of memoirs and almost kind of like self-help books in a way, all with a humorous touch. Um, what an interesting career he had. And, you know, I talked about it before, and you're, <laughs> again, getting back to talk shows, but he was very famous for his talk show appearances on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carter. It was outstanding. And, you know, because... Like, it, what's interesting about Charles Grodin's career is Cannonball Run, like when you think of Charles Grodin, a lot of people immediately go to Cannonball Run. Er, yeah. Or Midnight Run, I should say, not Cannonball Run. Uh, Midnight Run. Yes, yeah, okay. <laughs> and and the great performances from that movie from, you know, just uh, just unbelievable. But then he ends up being in the, in the kids' movies, and he's the dad in Beethoven. He's just manic through this whole thing. Right, and then right. eventually he gets that talk show, and I, I honestly, when he died, I forgot that he had that talk show, and it lasted yeah. longer than most of those talk shows, and much longer than the Chevy Chase show. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, and speaking of that, uh, and this you know comes back to the Andy Kaufman, Norm Macdonald talk show stuff. That was the thing with him on Johnny Carson was people never knew, or on, on the Night Show, people Carson was in on the joke. And I think anyone that had any sensibility whatsoever was in on the joke. But of course, what was famous about it was he would be on the show and just call Johnny out. You know, I mean, he would just, you know, treat him like, you know, well, you know, you're so rich and everything. You know, I think there was a famous um, interaction with him where he's like, you know, Johnny's talking to him like about, you know, it's always great having you here and stuff. And then Charles Grodin starts saying like, well, you know, you never asked me to your house. You never want me to, you know, you, you act like you're my really good friend, but I've never been to your house. I've never met your wife, you know, and all those stuff. They would be really uncomfortable, except obviously Carson was in on it because if anyone else had done it, he would have banned them from the show forever. <laughs> and then there's uh, some others here that I wonder, well, Ed Asner, we didn't get a chance to talk about much, uh, but I mean. Had president of the Screen Actors Guild for a long time, and right. you know, and, and taking a character like Lou Grant from a, a very funny show and a very well written show to more of a drama show with the spinoff, because you talk about the spinoffs, the Rhoda, and um, you know, and Phyllis, and all the other uh, spinoffs that kind of came, and and everybody that like came from that show. Lou Grant yeah. was a, which is a show that I can't find anywhere. I can't. Uh, I'd love to go back and see if it holds up, but. It ended up being a drama show, and you really got to see Ed Asner's chops there. I loved that show when it was on, and you're right. It seems to have disappeared. I don't know that it ran more. It maybe did it run three years, maybe? I don't know that it ran that long, but it, I know the critics loved it. 
And I, I got a chance to interview him a few years ago because he was in oh, really? Akron. His um, his son has autism, and there was an autism summit that yeah. was in Summit County, and uh, I, I was able to score an interview. So I got a chance to talk to him over the phone, and uh, he told me to keep in touch. Unfortunately, it's you know one of those things where I'll you know okay, well, but I don't want to bother the guy. You know, yeah, I right. did an interview with him, and then passes away this past year. But uh, yeah. it, it was really neat getting a chance and he exchanged num phone numbers with me and said, yeah, yeah, we'll uh, keep in touch the next time you're in the area. And, and I felt bad. I'm like, oh man, maybe I should have given him a call one of these days, but I did, but I'm always afraid when you have somebody who is of, of stature that right. gives you your phone number, his, the phone number. And then I'm always afraid that I'll call them and go like, Hey, Ed, how's it going? Who is this? What do you want? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess, I guess this, right, how's your cable bill? <laughs> just to get out of that. Yeah, you don't want to have, you don't want to be there. Like, yeah, what's Tony? Remember I met you in Akron? Where? You know, yeah, you don't want to have that conflict. <laughs> um, let's Ed see. Asner, Ed, interesting thing with Ed Asner is that, you know, in, in this, you know, politically messed up era that we live in, he clearly was, you know, very liberal guy and, and, and was very outspoken on those issues but also seemed to never really irritate anybody with that. I think he was such a genuine, down-to-earth, good, friendly person that he, you know, he, he had a lot of capital there, you know, that that um, he, he never seemed to become a divisive figure, you know, like, you know, like he could have easily if you, uh, you know, if you just read his interviews and read his viewpoints on, on the world. So, um yeah, kind of like Ed Begley Jr., where he, you know he's a he's a true liberal, where he has uh, solar farms and everything. Like he's truly right. does it, and it never really bothered anybody. It's just like, oh yeah, then no, that's who he is. By the way, speaking of uh, speaking of Ed Begley Jr., who has not passed away, but one of his co-stars in the show Saint Elsewhere was Norman Lloyd. Yeah, <laughs> Norman that Lloyd, who I, for folks. He worked with Chaplin, I believe. He, I yeah. mean, he was around so long, and he lived to, you know, the young age of a hundred and six. Yeah, and he and he was still working, like virtually up until the end. And he was, uh, yeah, his life, his life and career. I mean, it's almost like he, he almost. I mean, it's almost like he, he had this like. No one has a perfect life, but I mean, it's a, he came close. I mean, when you consider how long he was in, and all the, the people that he was connected with, and you can still, you can watch reruns of all kinds of shows and his name will pop up as a producer, you know, or, you know, executive producer or whatever. I mean, he was so involved with so many uh, major figures for decades. I mean, it's amazing. Like he was never a, a top billing star, but he was always... The character, the era of the character actor, it would be always, oh, it was that guy. Yeah, oh, that's who that is. And then as he got older, because this is the unfortunate part about Hollywood is that some of the, the actresses, when they reach that age or quote unquote sure. long in the tooth, yeah. they're not getting the work. But sometimes you get more grandfatherly figures that have this resurrection. And when Norman Lloyd, you know, in the 1980s, you know, you do the math, he's getting up there. He's in his 70s and his 80s, yet he's yeah. getting more work then than he was getting probably in the 1940s and 50s. And, you yeah. know, he worked, he was with RKO Pictures at the beginning and, <laughs> and, and started working in the 20s and the 30s. And his last movie was actually after he was 100, which was Trainwreck, the Amy Schumer uh, vehicle. 
Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if that was the best one to go out on, but I did like uh, Dave Attell and Colin Quinn's performance in it. But And you had Norman Lloyd who was on there, for God's sake. I mean, he's 106. And then you know, talking about another person who was all the way up there. Because, you know, I'm noticing this trend of some of these actors, again, you know, we talked about the musicians who were in their 70s and they lived pretty hard lives. But these right. actors, look, they're in their 90s. I mean, you know, Cloris Leachman was 94. Richard yeah. Donner, I believe, was about 90 or, clo or close to 90. Um, uh, Olympia Dukakis was up there as well. Christopher Plummer was in his 90s. Uh, yeah. Cecily Tyson. I mean, these these are names that were just have been around for not only decades, but half a century. Yeah, Cicely Tyson was 96, I think. Um, you know, you mentioned Midnight Run earlier, and I guess we should mention Yafet Kato, right? He died. Yep, Yafet Kato, yep. Yeah, yeah, and um, he was always a cool actor. He, yeah, he was one of those guys that always made an impression in anything he was in. And then, oh, well, and then another one uh, talking about it because you know you talk about actors, but not necessarily the true actor that we see on television and movies. But and this would be a probably a really good one to talk to with um, uh, Mark Dewidziak is Hal Holbrook. Oh yes, right. Well, yeah, Mark Dewidziak loved Hal Holbrook, met him many times, and uh, he did his own version of uh, Mark Twain tonight that he based. Well, of course, he'd have to base it on. On Hal Holbrook's, but um, uh, yeah, Holbrook was um, uh, he was one of those guys who was very talented, and he really found his niche, and and he managed. It was kind of a perfect role because it was you know he has this Mark Twain impersonation, Mark Twain tonight, but it's like that's a show that he could constantly evolve. You know, it was not locked in. I mean, it, you could basically he probably had. 25 versions of it because there were all these different anecdotes and stories and things from Mark Twain's life that you could expound on and also have comment on current events as he would often do in the Twain persona. So, um, yeah, he kind of, that was kind of a genius move on his part, but he put, he performed it perfectly well. I mean, he was, those are always really entertaining and fun to watch. Yeah. Some people find those niches. Like I remember a few years ago, I went down a rabbit hole of watching Gabe Kaplan, do Groucho Marx. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And it's it's interesting for somebody like Gabe Kaplan that really outside of you know, Welcome Back Cotter and facing off against uh, Robert Conrad in the Battle of the Network Stars. <laughs> Famously. It, you know, for the last yeah. 40 years, you know, what, you know, what do you do with your career? What do you do when yeah. you were kind of like a, you're, he was a comic who would do, you know, Welcome Back Cotter was based on his life. And, right. you know, so when I'm seeing him portray Groucho Marx on stage from being the young Groucho with uh, with Minnie's boys all the way to being the Aaron Fleming old Groucho. It was kind of right. interesting how that uh, kind of yeah. wrapped up. But well, Gabe Kaplan's still with us, but Hal yeah, Holbrook, right. <laughs> uh, 95 years of age uh, when he passed away. Um, uh, Ned Beatty lost him this year, too. Right, right. Um, he was... He Sort of the epitome of the character actor, right? I mean, he's, you know, in so many great movies. He's one of my fa all time favorite movies, is one of my all time favorite movies is Deliverance, <laughs> which is quite memorable in that one. And then there's uh, Robert Downey Sr., we lost him this year. Yeah. And he yeah. was, uh, I think, one of the big things that, uh, I, again, I don't know how long this one will hold up or how well it'll hold up is Putney Swope. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that movie, I don't know. I'm not sure 
how that holds up even now, but it was definitely very revolutionary at the time. And it's interesting, of course, that uh, his son's career because, you know, his son grew, you know, if you've ever read stuff about Robert Downey Jr., I mean, you know, he grew up in this, it's not really a shock that he had his own issues with drugs and what have you, because he grew up in this very bohemian atmosphere, you know, even as a child, uh, that was kind of the, what it was like around the house there. But um, yeah, uh, Robert Downey Sr., he strikes me as somebody who would be interesting to like check out some of his movies I haven't seen because um, his work was always very cutting edge and experimental and uh, timely. It's kind of like Melvin Van Peebles, who also died this year, who was a, uh, um, you know, a black director at a time where there weren't many black Mm -hmm. directors getting movies made. And um, and he, uh, uh, I think, you know, was, was clearly an inspiration for people like Spike Lee and, you know, others. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. uh, uh, oh, oh, well, I want to mention about Robert Downey Sr. is that he was the director of the great classic movie, uh, Mad Magazine Presents Up the Academy. Oh, <laughs> did he? Did he direct that? <laughs> he directed that, and so that has a young Ralph Macchio in it, and I believe uh, Jessica Walter's husband, Ron Liebman, was in it as well. Okay. <laughs> and it was this was during the time, and I mentioned this to Joe Rayola, former senior editor at Mad Magazine, in a podcast a couple couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. And what happened was in those days, because this was 1980 that came out, and yeah. this was right off the heels of National Lampoon. Uh, Animal House. So now that name attached to a magazine, and obviously the Lampoon coming from uh, Harvard and uh, the National sure. Lampoon Radio Hour carried a lot of cachet, but so did Mad Magazine at that time. But the difference mm. is, is that even though National Lampoon had a very successful run in the 70s and into the 80s, after that, it, it the bottom really dropped out from everything mm. National Lampoon. So basically, National Lampoon was something that you know it was going to suck because it says National Lampoon presents Van Wilder or whatever the case is. Right, right. Mad Magazine wanted to get into it to the point where this movie was so bad, Bill Gaines, the the owner of Mad Magazine, yeah. paid the, – there's figures. It's like 20000 50000 to have – the, there's a statue of Alfred E. Newman that's in it that he wanted taken out. He wanted Mad Magazine Presents Up the Academy taken off the credits everywhere. There's a weird scene at the end of the movie where somebody has a prosthetic face of Alfred E. Newman walking down the street, wanted that <laughs> taken out. So I guess in the Mad offices in Manhattan back in the day, they had this statue that was shown in Up the Academy. But it was just funny how... Um, uh, Mad ended up lampooning their own movie, and I think they called it Mad Magazine Resents Throw Up the Academy. <laughs> I have to say, your description of that movie makes me want to see it. <laughs> oh, it's, I, I, gosh, it's just, it's, it's one of those like teen sex comedy kind of things that were ever so popular. And though this, I think this is even predated Porky's. I'll I'll wait for the uh, Criterion Collection edition of this to come out on Blu-ray. I'm sure it's inevitable. That it's gonna... <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, let, me, let me see what others that we have still left on this list that we can get to. Um, oh, uh, the uh, the political ones because uh, we lost. Uh, speaking of Norm Macdonald, we how Bob Dole uh, outlived Norm Macdonald is amazing. <laughs> 
That's right. If you if you were a gambling man, you would have won some big bucks going on taking that bet. Um, yeah, you know, I Bob Dole is one of those. I I I find myself thinking, and I hate to get too political here, but like with Bob Dole's death, you know, you you saw I saw a little bit of the funeral service. I just I mean I didn't watch the whole thing, but I saw some coverage of it, and it was fascinating to me that um, he. Uh, it was so bipartisan, you know, I mean, there were, Bill Clinton was there, you know, who, you know, and run against him. I mean, and the president Biden was there. And of course there were, you know, numerous Republicans there, obviously. And, um, you know, it's like, you start to, th- I mean, down the road here, because once when people die, all of a sudden, all their, all the controversies sometimes get sort of uh, flattened or you're forgotten, you know, but, Boy, some of the political figures that we have today, it's just hard to imagine (laughs) when they pass away that there's going to be any particular coming together of, 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 uh, you know, a bipartisan. I mean, I could name some names, but they're they're all too obvious, Uh, you know, I mean. Well, think about when Rush Limbaugh died earlier this year. You had people that were saying things like, I probably shouldn't say anything or else I'm going to get fired. Yeah. Right. So it's yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. No, I know. I know. There was you know like yeah, essentially people that were like you know good riddance or whatever. Yeah. Because yeah. because I think what's going to happen is it, this is the disconcerting part is that there's always been people that you know you didn't agree with them politically, but there were people who took that to a certain level, like a Rush Limbaugh, where it, there was a deep divide uh, mm. or or others. But however. I have a feeling it's going to be that way with even moderate politicians. Like when John McCain passed away, there was, there was a lot of stuff that, I mean, was way over the line. And if you have more moderate politicians, whether on the left or right, I'm afraid it's going to get to the point where people are just going to be like, good, burn in hell. I don't care. Uh, well, know. I'll give you I'll give you my I'll give you my exhibit A because I've thought about this for a long time, because for some for some reason that's beyond my comprehension, this guy continues to live. Which is Dick Cheney. Yes. Okay. And the reason I say that is because Dick Cheney's had gone through like four hearts or something. I mean, the guy's had, you know, but I mean, when Dick Cheney passes away, if that ever happens, it, when he passes away, I, I mean, I can't imagine a service like Bob Dole got, you know, I mean, yeah. he was too divisive. There, it, it's just, I just can't see it. Um, and the reason I bring any of this up is just because I'm I'm nostalgic for, you know, something that's still barely exists but is passing away, which is just that kind of civility and congeniality, despite political differences and viewpoint viewpoint differences. I mean, you know, it just seems like things are so divisive now. And yeah, I, it, that was what struck me with Bob Dole's passing was that he really seem to command the respect and affection of people on both sides of the aisle, as they say. Well, and the same thing with the Colin Powell, who we also lost this oh, year. Oh, yes, too. sure. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting when we look going forward at uh, how we're going to be you know, treating the people in our current era and why, why a lot of the rhetoric that... P- I think people just, as we head into 2022, probably just need to just just unplug for a little bit. Like, <laughs> you, you think you wanted to say that? Probably best just put the phone down, put the tablet down, put your right. computer away, and just go, I'm going to go outside and get some fresh air. Because that's uh-huh. one thing I learned over the last year or so. And, you know, the frustration of 
Yeah, you know, like I said, I like going to see live music, and I couldn't uh, when the gyms were closed and everything. And I was having cabin fever because it was cold outside, yeah. and sure. I had to find ways of entertaining myself that wasn't the usual haunts of going to a comedy club, of going to a bar, of going someplace else. And I think as right. we head on to this going forward of of and online they call it return to monk and that's kind of like just going backwards where you're not necessarily going backwards and being a, a man of the woods but you just now that we have the capabilities of not living in cities anymore that you can yeah. work from a job from from new york city oh, but yeah. from the middle of the country so you you can work anywhere you want you could just do so from the luxury and the comfort of your own home and it's kind of yeah. one of those cases where i'm hoping that as we absorb pop culture going into 2022 and beyond is that you know we there there really isn't as much of a need to go into the cities that we used to how that's going to play an effect but it's also going to play a better effect for in my opinion for some people on their own sanity right well you're absolutely right i during the real shutdown months uh, of the covid pandemic stuff um there was I, I had a number of friends who were, I I found myself becoming like a counselor to them because all they were doing was watching MSNBC or Fox News or whatever. All they were doing was cons and, and or and reading online all this political stuff, and um, and this would be of course in the you know latter six months or so of the Trump presidency and before the election and all that, and they were driving themselves crazy. You know, and and just getting so wrapped up in this stuff, and unfortunately, I think a lot of the news coverage—that's what—that's what they're going for—is you know to drag you into this anger and this anguish and stuff. And it's it's news entertainment. Yeah, right, exactly. And I, you know, I just I would tell them, I'd say, just turn the damn thing off. You know, it's it's not you're, it's not going to change anything. You just need to you know calm down. And when I got to go on this. Um, trip uh, that my wife and I took out west it's like almost a month-long trip out west in October and uh, into November of this year um, you know one of the greatest things about the trip was being cut off basically <laughs> you know I basically was listening to music and podcast and most of the places I stayed didn't have a TV or if they did I just would turn on a, some a sports or whatever I'll tell you that's the weirdest thing about going out west Tony is the time change i i'm out in arizona or and i it was a sunday and i we were staying in a hotel and i turn on the tv and it's 10 o'clock in the morning and the browns are on yeah it's <laughs> great <laughs> and i'm like that, that has got to be a very different like life because I mean, if 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 you are in touch with popular culture, sports kinds of things, I mean, it's like my buddies and I typically will get together at a bar and watch the Browns play or in, you know, whatever, <laughs> win or lose, usually the latter at one o'clock, you know, and we'll have a few beers and get a pizza or whatever. And, you know, wait, I mean, you can't you're doing that at 10 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I remember one. I remember one year I was in. Sacramento. I was outside of Sacramento. It was at Chico State University. It was my uncle was a professor there, and I met up with him. And I'm an, usually a night owl, even though I work morning radio. I was very much yeah. a night owl. And I remember one time I was going to bed in the hotel room, and I was noticing on social media, on Facebook, and Twitter at the time, 
people who are the morning people on my side of the country are waking up and they're like, oh boy, oh, I fell asleep at seven o'clock last night. I'm up and at him, first cup of coffee. I'm like, first cup of coffee? I should go to bed right now. <laughs> so it's, it really is just a just a mind warp uh, when you think about that. But yeah, you know, when you look at pop culture and you know, as, as we wrap this podcast up here and we wrap up the year, it really is getting to that point where we are consuming things differently and consuming things at our own pace, that appointment listening is not as much of a thing anymore, where, okay, your radio show's on from 6 to 10 a.m., not as many people are waking up anymore at 5.58 to turn their radio on. They're waking right. up whenever, and they can listen to this podcast at their leisure. They could be in right. the car. They can be at the gym. They could be at home uh, vacuuming or, or doing the dishes. And that's, um, you know, for for as much as somebody in who works in traditional media, that's kind of goes against what our mission statement is. But I guess for the future, uh, this a la carte feel to our entertainment is uh, not so bad of a thing. I mean, you know, you don't have to go to Barnes and Noble to pick up a book. You can go on your, te- uh, you know, your uh, Kindle and get it immediately or go on Audible and you get your book in a second. I mean, in one right. second, you just got to get your credit card info there and you're all good. It's, uh, it, it's a different world from where it was even probably five years ago. And uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see where we go with pop culture and with everything uh, as as we head on through the you know the middle part of this decade, but well, Tony, you're familiar. I, I know we need to end this here in a minute, but you're familiar with um, Dan Levitard. Oh yeah, ESPN. Well, so you know about how he left ESPN and now he has this podcast that is he does on his own, and um, and it's very fascinating because he talks he talks in the podcast a lot about that because he was used to this live daily formatted there will be commercials you know you know you have a certain amount of time but you know it's, it's going to be 10 minutes and then there's going to be a, a commercial or whatever and then in a way like like how he was so used to that he kind of liked it in a way he misses it but now he's like this is all changed and with his podcast you know every day it's on like i think like four or five days a week but it's like i enjoy it i think it's it's i i, I like to listen to his show but it's um and it's a sports talk show of course but um he um you know, it's broken down by hours. There's usually like, he probably puts about four hours of content a day when he does it. And, but it's like each hour is marked about kind of like what the subject is. And so it, so I will listen to something that maybe was done two or three days earlier and I'll look at it and I'm like, well, they're talking about the Miami dolphins. I don't care about that. Well, you know, here they're going to be talking about some soccer. I don't care about that either. Oh, here's something about, is Baker Mayfield the answer for the Browns? That I'll listen to. You know, that that's, as you're saying, it's much more of an a la carte experience now that's being presented. And I find it interesting with him because he's in his early 50s now. And so he's kind of striding that the one world into the other. You can tell that there's sort of a discomfort for him moving into this world. But at the same time, there's a freedom as well. And he knows that that's where the future is going to be with this kind of programming. And mm. It, it's just interesting. It's interesting. He talks about it quite explicitly, and it's fa- and it just ties it with everything we've been talking about about the way that media is changing, and particularly, I think now with post COVID, where people have become more, their our lives have changed that we become more connected with. Yes, being able to watch what we want, consume what we want, listen to what we want, 
pretty much when we want to. And, and so it And for those who want to join this kind of business, whether it's TV or radio or podcasting, understand you're not going to make a lot of money. If that money, <laughs> those days are gone. I mean, there yeah. are certain examples of somebody getting a syndicated show or somebody that gets a syndicated column in a newspaper. But for the most part, those days of making the Howard Stern, Rush Limbaugh type of money, forget yeah. about it. Enjoy oh, your... Yeah. At most, you're in, you enjoy your twenty thousand dollars a year that you'll probably be making at some point pretty soon. So, yeah, I was whenever I, I've talked to University of Akron, some of the students, and they've said, um, you know, what would you think? Uh, like, what would you recommend? And I say, well, start your own podcast, go from there, and see how much you enjoy being in radio. And uh, when your internship is over, you'll probably not enjoy being in radio anymore. <laughs> Sad but true. So, Bob, where can we find uh, any of your work, anything you're doing, or are you just uh, just having a Facebook and just enjoying life right now? Well, I am involved, and in, I'm doing a lot of music. Uh, I'm involved in like three different bands, kind of almost four, actually. I'm playing a, a I, uh, I, in a jazz group with the singer Tracy Thomas, who used to be in the band Unit 5 back in the glory days of the Akron scene in the late 70s, early 80s. I was in, in the band with her. She does a jazz thing now, so I'm actually playing tonight at, um, by the time anyone sees this, it'll be long over, but <laughs> uh, at Jilly's Music Room. Uh, oh, next yeah. She's in Akron. I'm playing a jazz show tonight with her with a holiday theme, so that'll be fun. And then um, I'm involved with a kind of a recording project called Golems of the Red Planet, where we do sort of surf versions of uh, Jewish Hebrew themes sounds crazy, but it actually works, and um, that's available on uh, all the you know music platforms, Spotify, uh, um, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera, um, Bandcamp, all those. Um, and then I am in a band called Glenn Lazier, which was this with a couple of younger guys. That's kind of more indie indie pop if there is such a thing anymore i guess all pop is indie now but it's uh kind of original rock songs and that's with a friend of mine jacob trombetta and uh friday mike wilkinson and uh they're low, they're younger than me and so i enjoy that because i and, and i enjoy the music those are mostly original songs that we do and uh then i'm in one other band it's called pin too hot and that is with chris butler from uh the band tin uh tin huey actually the golems of the red planet has another tin huey guy harvey gold in, in that band. Pin Too Hot is basically a live group where we sort of do improvisational uh, versions of popular rock melodies that you would know. Okay. Uh, uh, you can find our some of our stuff on Facebook and on YouTube to look at, but that's that, that's all just live performances. We actually had a show at the Rialto Theater. Um, Over in Kenmore. Kenmore. Yeah, which they've revived and remodeled, and it's really great. It's really a terrific place. So we just played there last Friday. So I'm keeping real busy with music, and uh, yeah, and the traveling is nice, and the holidays are coming up. And so, yeah, we'll move on into 2022 and see what happens. Yeah, one of these <laughs> days I'm going to get off my tuchus and uh, go see you guys perform. All right, cool. Cool. All right, Bob, thanks so much. This is a r r real pleasure. I'm looking forward to putting this out. So this will be out on the 22nd and the 29th. Okay, great. So, I will uh, definitely uh, look forward to that. Excellent. Yeah.